0: Sports Ethos New York Knicks podcast. Andre Galliver. So the Knicks pulled it out. They pulled it out against the Clips. It was a nipping top game. Clippers came in here with their brand new James Harden at point guard and appeasing Russell Westbrook by starting him as well. Came out here. The Knicks didn't really. They didn't really play well. Uh, Clippers neither did. The Knicks, for the most part, but they play kind of at the Knicks' pace. And I know, for one, I was watching uh, this game thinking this is going to be a nip-and-tuck game, kind of like the Clippers game back uh, last year. This is going to be a nip-and-tuck game. Is it? When it comes down to it, the Knicks don't have an answer for James Harden, like most people. And you don't have an answer for Paul George. you don't have an answer for Kawhi Leonard. And it's going to be tough to pull this one out. But the one... Superpower this Nick team has is their bench, and they haven't necessarily been playing well throughout the season. But you saw Dante DiVincenzo come in here and do everything that anyone who knows about Dante DiVincenzo expected him to do from day one walking in here. Hustle play after hustle play, getting steals, offensive rebounds. And listen, just having two guys in the court of the ilk of Josh Hart and, and Dante DiVincenzo is such a bonus or should be such a bonus for this team. It just hasn't materialized really so far this season. But you saw it last night, and quickly, Hardenstein, Dante, Josh Hart, those guys came out in that bench unit, and uh, the Clippers bench is kind of soft. You know, you got Bones Highland who can put some points on the board but can't do much else. You have Norman Powell, who I'm a big fan of, who actually gave the Knicks a hard time but coming off the bench, you had Mason Plumlee, who I believe was kind of underrated, especially when the backup role kind of underrated and some of the things he does. Good passer, good, solid, solid player. But he got hurt. And now they're scraping the bottom of the barrel with their backup center they bring in a guy who had no chance of doing anything against his team. Now, a lot of times, the Knicks, you know, they fall, they fall prey to players like that. They come in the game and... All of a sudden, some no-name dude is hitting five threes, and you're like, what the hell? But he was too light in the, in the loafers for the Knicks. What was his name? Um, uh, Diabate. He, he had nothing. He had nothing for the Knicks. He wasn't ready to play against his, uh, against his team. Didn't really give them anything. And I think he only played – how many minutes he played? I think it was like four minutes, six minutes. He had four points. Listen. You get, or some would say, four points is even too much for a guy like that. But that's one of the issues with this Clipper team, and you know that uh, man is hurt. Terrence man is hurt. He's going to help them off the bench. They, you know, they kind of lighten the loafers once you, you know, get the starters off the floor. As a matter of fact, even with the starters on the floor, they're a little light in the loafers. You got P.J. Tucker coming off coming off the bench. Obviously, he's you know what P.J. Tucker can do. Uh, it just didn't seem like they should be able to hang with the Knicks in their second unit and they weren't in the second half. The first half they did, and in the second half they didn't. Obviously one of the stars is going to be on the floor at all times, but still. The Knicks should have should have ran roughshod on their second unit and they and they did in that second half. And give Dante DiVincenzo credit. He was a catalyst. Uh quickly was steady, wasn't you know you know his numbers don't jump out at you, but he was steady out there. Hart was steady out there and a pretty good game. I think he has seven assists yeah, he did. Yeah, had 11 points, 7 assists, put up 4-3 at 10 points, actually. Put up four threes. on only hit one. Still, still a thing, but he needs to take him. Two steals, only three rebounds, which is a surprise. And I saw somebody make the point that they, you know, the offense doesn't go anywhere when Dante initiates the offense and when Hart initiates the offense. That quickly should initiate the offense all the time. RJ should initiate the offense all the time. I'm okay with RJ initiating the offense, um, but, and, and of course quickly has to do it too, but please don't give me this thing where the offense is stagnant when Hart and and DiVincenzo do it. Please don't give me that thing. Now I will say when Hart, there are certain, certain situations where if Hart does it, you're not going to get much out of it because he's not a threat to shoot the ball. So it's real easy to just sack off of him. But Dante, he's a guy who can shoot the ball if you go under the screen. And to me if you got a decent ball handler who can shoot the ball if you go into the screen, that's somebody who can initiate offense for the Knicks. And he's a good passer. He's a decent enough passer as well. That that's that's somebody who can initiate offense. Don't don't give me that cuz offense is plenty stagnant when IQ was initiating it, initiating it and we've talked about it for years. So that's that's to me as convenient that you watching a couple possessions uh, in in the game and and jumping to a conclusion. Because the offense is plenty stagnant when IQ is running in. Plenty. Often. So let's not. It needs to be initiated by by more of these guys. And we talked about this in the last show. It needs to be. Because that's how you unlock some of their skill sets. You know, And this is less so true for Hart, but more so true for DiMincenzo and Grimes. And DiMincenzo last night, again, 16 minutes, 12 points, Three of five from three. Come on, man. Six rebounds. Only one assist, but one steal, one block. And this was in 16 minutes. He's in- people people directly compare Dante and Obi Toppin. And they shouldn't that compare them directly. Even though Dante is really replacing Obi in the rotation, they should not be compared directly. Because the position that Dante is in isn't the position that Obi was in. Obi's in a position... At power forward, where he is faster than most power forwards. Okay? He's constantly spreading the floor against power forwards. He should be rebounding at the power forward position. So, the way they contribute on the court should be different. Dante, on the other hand, is playing a crowded position at shooting guard for the Knicks, or guard for the Knicks, Right? Playing a very crowded position and he's on the outside and he should have guard stats. There's no reason why Dante DiVincenzo should have rebounding games akin to Obi Toppin in the same minutes. There's no reason. There's no reason. None. Now I can say one assist is not exactly you know a barn burner, but he's making defensive plays. Hustle plays, the things are not even showing up in the box score. He's initiating offense. His role on the Knicks is way different than what Obi Toppin's role was. And Obi needed to be a star in his role. And too often, and we talked about this, he wasn't a star in his role. So don't just compare the numbers, even though the numbers might be favorable for Dante over Obi right now. There's one game. Don't just look at the numbers. Is Dante playing his game to the best of his ability? And is Obi playing or did Obi play his game to the best of his? And ultimately, is the lineup that the Knicks have that includes Dante, Dante's not playing power forward, that includes Dante better than the lineups the Knicks had when Obi Toppin was on the floor with the bench unit? It's too early in the season to even get into that because you also had some injuries, RJ Barrett, who was part of that lineup. You had a slow start from Josh Hart, who was a part of that lineup. So it's too early in the season to, to look at those numbers, but that's the numbers. Those are the numbers you need to look at if you want to compare Obi Toppin and Dante DiVincenzo. How is that bench unit playing? How efficient are they? And are the Knicks winning those bench minutes? Because the more direct comparison would be Josh Hart, since he's the one, Josh Hart and R.J. Barrett are the ones who are playing the front-line minutes. In that second unit. R.J. Barrett was a part of that second unit last year. So looking at his numbers, probably not, not all that relevant. It shouldn't be all that different. Maybe he's being defended by different people. I doubt it. He's going to be defended by the same people in the second units. So R.J. was was a part of that second unit last year. But what is Josh Hart doing in that in those minutes? Well, in this particular game, he has seven assists and ten points. How many times? And three rebounds. How many times have you seen uh, Obi Toppin do that? In those minutes. Seven assists. How many times? Sure, he's gotten rebounds. He scored more points. He scored 10 points. I think he averaged around that. In in terms of points, probably averaged around three rebounds. (laughs) Okay. But seven assists? How often are you seeing that? Two steals? How often are you seeing that? But again, his different skill sets... So it's it's not fair to compare, but you guys want to compare. You guys are, are being very convenient in how you're comparing. I'm not even going to get into how Obi's not playing well in Indiana right now. I don't I don't want to jump on him. But if you're going to make a comparison, that's how you got to make it. How is the unit playing with the replacements? Not just looking at the replacements and comparing their numbers because they play different positions and have different roles. And if you want to be that convenient, you're going to lose that comparison because Josh Hart in this particular game, if we're going to be real convenient and just look at the last game's box score, had seven assists, and Obi Toppin doesn't do that. And you know Josh Hart's going to rebound better than Obi Toppin because he's already done it. And you know Dante. Dante is a career 40% three-point shooter. Obi Toppin shot 40% around this year, this time last year, and it fell completely off the rest of the year after his injury. The Dante's not shooting that well right now, but he that's career wise he's a a much better shooter so if you're not talking points and you're not talking rebounds you're not talking threes and what what direct comparison are you making for a power forward to a shooting guard like what what are you trying to accomplish in that comparison There's different roles in the offense different roles when they're out there and when and when Dante has numbers that that uh, tower over Obi Toppins. you going to make up some excuse why it doesn't make sense to compare the two. So don't do it now. How is this unit playing right now versus the unit last year? That's that's what you need to look at. And we've seen this a few times with Dante where his hustle plays have have really made an impact on the game. And enough about Obi Toppin because we know his hustle plays have also done that. But you're going to see that consistently from Dante. And you're going to see it in, in very relevant ways. You know, you're seeing him get over screens. You're seeing him jack up dribble handoffs. You know, these are the type of things that you're not getting from everybody. Not even on this team. This team doesn't get that many steals. So this guy comes in and gets steals. He's already a benefit to the Knicks. Getting turnovers and getting points off those turnovers. Like, come on. Got a big offensive rebound at big three at the end of the shot clock listen i am very high on Dante DiVincenzo. he had an incredible impact on the game last night, and he only played he only played sixteen minutes Now I'm not advocating for more minutes actually it's a minute situation right now we are we already knew this was gonna be a minute crunch this year, and we have plenty of time to talk about it, so we won't go into too much detail on this show but yeah, it's a nine man rotation, and you know quickly he's not getting enough minutes. It's true. He's just not. He's not getting enough minutes. And here was a game where Brunson didn't play well, played 35 minutes in a game where he didn't play well. And it felt like Brunson's minutes were cut. It felt like in that second half he sat on the bench a long time, but 35 minutes. Quentin Grimes is only playing 20 minutes. He's not playing well. We talked about that ad nauseum. RJ is at 30 minutes, and Julius is at 36, and, and Mitchell is at 34 and somehow Josh Hart was able to get thirty-two minutes out of this game, and I'm not. And listen, I'm not shading Josh Hart's, Hart's minutes, but I just don't know if Josh Hart should be getting thirty-two to quickly twenty. You know, you need to split that difference. I don't care how you slice it. You need to you need to split that difference. Okay, you're talking twenty-six minutes for Josh, and and uh, you know what? Did I take away six or twenty-six minutes for. Quickly, and don't tell me, oh, they play different positions, but no, nah, listen, Josh Hart played 32 minutes, Randall played 36 minutes, RJ played 30 minutes, so Hart is taking minutes from RJ, and I shouldn't say from, but RJ's minutes and Randall's minutes, because those are the, he's playing front line minutes, on top of his front line minutes, he's playing, he's the first guy off the bench for, for Quentin Grimes, so he's he's playing shooting guard minutes. He's playing minutes at all the positions, and, and listen, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that, but quickly she needs to get some of those minutes, too. He quickly needs to get more of Grimes' minutes. Hart, you're on the floor plenty. You're on the floor a ton, and you don't help the space because you're not shooting well. All right? So the Knicks offense needs quickly as much as the, the team needs Hart. So I'm not saying Hart shouldn't be playing. I'm saying Hart doesn't have to be playing 32 minutes. It doesn't have to on the night where Quentin Grimes played 20 minutes. Hart didn't have to be at 32 minutes and, and quickly at and quickly at 20. The reason why that's the case, though for those of, those of you who who've asked that question and I've not I've seen plenty of smart nick guys ask this question and not really go into it. The reason why that's the case is because quickly is small at the off-guard position. And he's trying to, Tibbs is trying to limit his matchups at the off guard position because he thinks Quickly's too small for that position. And historically, quickly has been beaten by taller guards. He has. All right. Not to say he's not an excellent defensive player, but size is size sometimes. And taller guards have given quickly trouble. The problem is, let that trouble happen before you assume the trouble. Because you're putting Josh Hart in, first man off the bench, behind quickly. I mean, behind Grimes. And then having Hart play everybody's backup minutes at small forward and power forward. Uh, listen, that's that's fine. That's fine. But for somebody who's not shooting well versus somebody who is shooting well, and for, some, for a team whose field goal percentage is in the dumps, maybe play the guy at off guard who's shooting the ball a little bit better. A few more minutes, a half. I'm talking about three minutes, a half. Three more minutes. Let quickly be the first man off the bench if you're taking Grimes out. If you're taking Grimes out, let quickly be the first man off. If you got to take out R, if you're taking out RJ, then let then let it be Hart. And I don't even know what the pattern was yesterday, to be very honest with you. I just know Hart was first. I don't remember who came out first. I know RJ comes out typically in the first quarter, so he can come back with the second unit Uh you can. You don't like to play Grimes or Small Four. Maybe you need to play Grimes or Small Four. Or just take them both out at the same time and bring them both back. I don't care what you do, but I know that IQ needs to play more than 20 minutes. And I didn't bring this up in the last show. I know a lot of people beefing about IQ's minutes in that, in that game because I hate when when the Knicks lose a close game and everybody starts beefing about, like, this guy didn't play enough minutes. Like, it was a close game. What do you want? They had a chance to win at the end of the day. They had a chance to win the game. So stop stop making, just because they didn't make the call that you wanted them to make, don't make it about a right or wrong thing, an objective thing like it was done wrong because they didn't do it the way you want to do it. That said, yes, the Clippers won yesterday and the Knicks won that fourth quarter and maybe I'm doing the same thing I just said you shouldn't do. <laughs> but this is a pattern now. I'm not really focused so much on this one game, but it's a pattern where he's not playing enough minutes. There's two games in a row, at least, and I haven't even too lazy to go back and look at the other games. Is I know he hasn't been playing a ton of minutes. But that's two games in a row where he had he could have played more minutes. Because Josh Hart didn't even start the season off playing well, and you know he could he can really play more minutes and and with the offense and he's playing reasonably well offensively. So to to have another offensive player out there for just three more minutes a half, it's not, it's not asking too much. And, and the analytics say that their, their heart and being on the floor with Randall and RJ is just not helpful. know, heart being on the floor with Randall is not helpful. It's not helpful. You want to have guys on the floor who are going to stretch it when Randall's out there. You don't want to have a guy that everybody's sagging off of. Part of Randall's problem is, is the fact that Mitchell's man is always in the paint and people are sagging off on him, sagging off uh, his teammates and, and onto him. And I'm not giving him a pass. It's just that's part of it. So playing him in heart at the same time when you don't have to, it just doesn't make sense. So we got to talk about – I'm going to talk about Randall in a minute and give him credit. We're going to talk about Brunson. Because I told you, and and this is, I'm sounding the alarm, sounding the alarm. In an attempt to placate Randall, the ball is coming out of Brunson's hands. Now, strategically, I don't necessarily think that's a bad idea. Because of not just putting the ball in Randall's hands, but how you're putting it in his hands, which was relevant in his Clipper game. Right. So I don't necessarily think it's a bad idea. I just don't know if Brunson is nearly as effective as a Nick. He was effective in Dallas, but nearly as effective as a Nick when he doesn't get a chance to dominate the ball more often. You saw it in the preseason, you saw it in in, and throughout spurts of these games. When he gets to dominate the ball, his efficiency gets better. He gets into a rhythm. When he's like herky-jerky, um, I haven't seen the ball for a few possessions, and now I'm going to do something, that's when he gets a little shaky. And I, and I said that in the preseason. I, don't, I, I fear that like Grimes, Runson is too reliant on being in rhythm offensively to be efficient. And and I don't want to compare Brunson and Grimes too directly, but that's also Grimes' problem. Instead of, okay, I can do what I do when the opportunity comes. As long as you give me my spaces and my spots, I'm going to be okay. He's a rhythm, more of a rhythm player than we think. So when you take the ball out of his hands as consistently as the Knicks did last night and then put it back in his hands and expect him to be efficient, I think it's going to be a drop-off and that scares me now Brunson needs to figure that out because i don't know it's it's like a damn if you do damn if you don't situation because Randall needs to play better and Randall wasn't going to play better the way you were using Randall so if you have to put the ball in Randall's hands not just put it in his hands but put but in his hands in certain situations for him to play better then you do that at the same time, you need Brunson to be Brunson. Now, that just feeds the idea that they just don't mesh. Just like Randall doesn't mesh with RJ. Randall doesn't seem, seemingly mess with anybody, <laughs> to be honest. But let's be fair and let's not forget that Randall had an awesome regular season last year. With Brunson having an awesome regular season last year. All right. So what's the difference why Why does the offense have to be different now versus last year? What's the difference with Randall? Why can't Randall do what he did last year with Bronson doing what he was doing? Are teams playing differently or is Randall a different player? Is, the, is he still recovering from his ankle surgery? I've, I've seen people bring that up and I've scoffed at it. But what's the difference? Is the difference that Randall just needs to be in be put in a better rhythm? because the playoffs last year, you know, is as traumatized to him or, or teams are just playing him differently. I just, I, it's, it's hard for me to really figure it out. It's hard for anybody to figure Randall out. But Randall spent a lot of time last year just jacking up shots in the first quarter. And he was, what, the leading scorer in the league in the first quarter? So is that it? You need to just feed Randall so he can jack shots up in the first quarter? Like, what is it? What is it? What does he need? I know that from a basketball standpoint, what they did with him last night, and I called for a change in the last show, what they did for him last night to me was a picture into the future of what the Knicks offense could be if if Brunson can actually be efficient in it. And people say, well, it's a matchup. If Paul George is on Jalen Brunson, he's not going to score consistently. (laughs) And now I've said that against – I've said that when it comes to Brunson and a few defenders, and he's torched them. But Paul George, it just doesn't seem like Paul George is the type of player that Brunson is going to score on, to be honest with you. Uh, but he wasn't on him the whole night. He was missing shots that he should have made. Was, you know, he was – he. I just don't think he was in rhythm. Simple as that. And he needs to figure that out. But beyond Brunson's struggles, what they did with Randall, to me, to me – If they consistently did that, the Knicks are going to be a far better team than what you've seen so far this season and maybe even compared to last year. And the reason why it was really the second unit that won this game last night, the reason why the first unit wasn't more effective, even though they were doing what they were doing, there's a few reasons. But the primary reason is because Brunson didn't play well. Not because of Randall, because Brunson didn't play well. If Brunson had played well, then that first unit would have looked that the numbers would look immaculate. What they started doing is they put Brunson off the ball and they ran pick and roll with, with Mitchell Robinson and Julius Randle. And that's something you don't see very often. And when you do see it, it is random and disorganized and disjointed. It was more organized. And to me, it helped get Randall in rhythm. It helped get Randall going downhill. And it started putting Randall in a mindset of what he needs to do if he's going to be doing these pick and rolls with with uh, Mitchell Robinson. And it's also putting people in pick and rolls that aren't necessarily used to doing it. Randall's matchup, I'm not saying they never do it, but the power forward center pick and roll is not necessarily is not necessarily the everyday strategy of most NBA teams. All right. Now, you could say that, you know, the small forward defender, you know, the, for, the the forward defender that's on Julius Randle is a guy who might, you know, be in pick and roll more often than not. But that guy is probably going to be guarding Brunson or, or RJ. You know, it's probably not going to be the team's best defender on Julius Randle. That's why Julius Randle draws so many double teams. Okay, it's usually not going to be a guy who's strong enough to handle Julius Randle. It's just usually not. And now you're putting him in screen and screen and and roll. Now, the the proper strategy with the center power forward screen and roll is to switch it. Man, last night they tried to play drop coverage and it gave it gave Julius Randle a little bit of space. Because you got his primary defender on his hip or behind him. And now he just had the big man in front of him. He can get downhill a little bit. It just gave him a little bit of space. And then he tried to throw a few alley-oops to Mitchell Robinson. Now, one alley-oop was a shot he needs to add to his repertoire. He missed the alley so bad he made the shot. But the shot is something he needs to add to his his game. A little flip, flip shot off the backboard. Fading to the right shooting with his left. Please do that more often. You got that shot down, Pat. But by doing that, what you're doing is you're you're opening the spacing up in the lane for... And I'm not going to say he's the best lane player on the, on the team right now because RJ's been pretty good and Brunson's been pretty awesome in his career. But that's where he really wants to operate, right? So you're you're taking what has been a crowded situation in that paint, and you're opening it up a little bit because now you're putting a defender behind Julius as opposed to like in front of him and he has to run through him, or I said on his hip before, but I, I really meant his back hip when he comes off the screen, as opposed to right next to him where Julius has to plow through him and he has to get through Mitchell's man, and now he's putting Mitchell in motion. So the pass to Mitchell, the lanes are there more often because now Mitchell's in motion as opposed to just standing there waiting for Julius to beat his man. That, that alone opened Julius up a little bit last night. It got him in his game. It got him in the half court. It got him in a little bit of rhythm, having a ball in his hands, attacking, going downhill. It got him a little bit more engaged. And I think that's that's part of it. Outside of the X's and O's, part of Julius's problem is when he doesn't touch the ball, he's disengaged. Just like defensively, people have talked about Julius when he's a primary defender, he's pretty good on the ball. But when he's off the ball and he's not a part of the play, he's disengaged. That's been his thing. It's like he needs to be I'm not giving him giving him the excuse, but he needs to be engaged in the play. He needs to be a part of the action, and by putting him on the ball and letting him run screen and roll, and and not having him just stand outside waiting for a pass, I I think that helped get him engaged. I think it helps him going downhill. I, I think it gives him a little bit more space in the lane. I think I think that if that becomes a consistent part of the offense. That's, that's an incredible revelation for the Knicks. Just that alone, and then you saw you saw Julius attacking in transition. That's not necessarily new, but it seemed like it was a focus to let Julius attack in transition and get going downhill. And all his teammates seemed like they were on board, trying to get Julius on track. As much as Julius looks like a pain in the ass on the floor, his teammates always say the right things. They're always on the floor supporting him or off the court supporting him. And they all wanted Julius to get, get going. And if you have that, if you have him attacking in different ways, from different spots, from different angles, that is going to unlock Julius Randle. When you have Julius Randle just do basic, simple things and expect him to, to score on everybody 1v1 or 1v2. That's bad offense is stagnant and it's old and it hasn't worked against good defensive teams. Simple as that. It might work against a bad one, but it doesn't work against good ones. So all of these different ways of getting Julius Randle into the game, I think it pays dividends by having him engaged more often in the game. The fact that that's a thing is a whole nother conversation, but the the byproduct of this right now is Jalen Brunson not playing well to me that's the byproduct because outside of of the way they attacked the clippers last night they have tried to just go to Julius throughout the season and 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 put Brunson and have Brunson move aside a little bit more often and unlike last year where the ball found Brunson again and Brunson was able to do his thing even though Randall was scoring all those points in the first quarter. It was still a lot of Brunson outside of Randall getting the ball in the first quarter or getting the ball too often. RJ's getting it, which is not a bad thing because RJ has been awesome. So well, you didn't get RJ on the ball a lot last year, which was part of his problem last year. Now people are trying to say that was part of his problem in other years. That's a lie. People saying that that's, that was his biggest problem. That's also a lie because he couldn't shoot, couldn't make couldn't make a shot. Now he's shooting, and now he's making better decisions when he has the ball. Now he looks like a more dynamic offensive player. So when they do go to him, there's a there's some dividends coming from it. But so now, from a Brunson standpoint, you have RJ who's getting the ball more, and you're getting Julius getting the ball as much as he was in theory. Let's just say for, for conversation's sake, it was as much as he was. But now you're getting the ball less. And he's the best player. It's a tricky thing. It's a tricky thing. It's a tricky thing. Jalen Brunson doesn't really take good shots. He takes good shots that are good for him. And that comes from him being in rhythm. If he's not going to be in rhythm, he's not going those shots are not going to go in. And I don't know if this is sustainable because he's the most efficient player on the team historically. They got to give a shout-out to Mitchell Robinson, who – is third in the league in team offensive rebounds. Understand me. He's third in the league in team offensive rebounds. He has out-rebounded the entire league on the offensive boards. The Lakers have 55 offensive rebounds. Offensive rebounds the Wolves have 50 offensive rebounds and Mitchell Robinson has 40 F and 5. I was trading Mitchell Robinson this afternoon, not because, or yesterday afternoon, not because I don't value what he does. I'm looking at it from a pros and cons standpoint. If you're not going to, and this is coming from a place where Randall was able to, or their Tibbs and Randall were able to devise a strategy that included getting Mitchell out of the lane for Randall's benefit. If you're not going to find ways to get Mitchell out of the lane, the next offensive, offensive approach is going to be the toilet. There's just no way around it. You can't, you, can't, you can't function in a way where you don't have the best shooters in the world and you can't get to the rim because of Mr. Robinson. You can't have both. And we talked about this. We talked about creating rhythm. We well, I can go into all of that stuff right now. But if you're not going to, then you might have to trade him. Because Hartenstein at least can give you some offense. Listen, this is not the time to, to, to you know, quibble over Mitchell Robinson. He yeah, has awesome starts of the season. He's been awesome defensively. It's just, there's just no way you can say anything bad about him right now. So let's let's just shift this to the coaching set, our coaching staff. Listen, you have to move him around, move him around, and then you know, if you're going to play this way then he's going to hamper you. He's going to make your offense struggle. But, yeah, sure, if you you throw some wrinkles in there finally, then you can make the offense, you can lighten the load a little bit. But you got to do it, and you got to do it consistently. Otherwise, if you're married to playing in a particular way, then Hardenstein is better for your offense, and Mitchell's better for your defense. And, yeah, if you're not going to make moves to, to alleviate the pressure, offensively when he's on the floor, then maybe you should just move him and take the little hit defensively and and let Hartenstein take the bulk of the the blows there. So if if Mitchell is a nine and a half defensively, then maybe Hartenstein is is a seven and a half. and Maybe you live with that because it opens up the offense a little bit more. But you know what? It's not like the offense is you know, Shangri-La when Hartenstein is playing. But, you know, I think last year, Hartenstein quickly led the the Knicks in plus minus. So there is something to it. But Mitchell's better this year. And it's too small of a sample size to start getting into that now, in my estimation, in terms of plus minus. Been too many up and down games. People aren't playing well. And Mitchell's always hampered by playing with the starters who don't mesh very well. So, listen, I I take it back a little bit because I don't want to underestimate or underscore what Mitchell does defensively, but you got to move him around. You got to do something. You saw a little bit of that last night. The Knicks still got some work to do, but it was a big win. Julius Randle, with some of those changes, he changed with it in terms of his production and demeanor. The fact that we still have to talk about his demeanor is just a, it's a damn shame. It really is. It's, it's depressing. I'm sick of it. I think Julius Randle probably should be traded. I don't care. It's like it's, it's at the point where what he I do believe I still believe he's the heart and soul of the team. I still believe that. But if we're going to continue to have to worry about the ebbs and flows of Julius Randle so that the team can play well and trade him. I just don't know who to trade him for. You can't just trade him for nothing. But the, I just think he's dragging the Knicks down because he's not doing. He's not giving you the baseline every night. He's not giving you his floor every night. It's one thing to know what his ceiling is. It's a whole other thing to not know what his floor is. That's how players don't don't keep jobs in the NBA typically. Not not to say that Randalls in in uh, jeopardy of losing his job as an NBA player, but that's why NBA players don't last. It's because no one knows where their floor is. Their floor keeps falling lower and lower. And Knicks just can't afford to have Randall's floor be that low. And I understand that the schematically, the Knicks get in Julius's way and don't help him. And you saw how that can change last night. And that's what I'm talking about with Mitchell. I get that, and he might be frustrated, but that, that doesn't affect you defensively. It shouldn't. Not on a team that's trying to win. But big game for the Knicks. You got to give him credit. I don't care what anyone says. People always try to tear down the opponent because they don't want to give credit where credit is due. Big game for the Knicks. Anytime the Knicks win, when one of their big three is not playing well, you give him credit. Give credit for every win, but give him credit to win without Brunson playing well. Give him credit. Give him credit. And that's why you need RJ. That's why you need Randall, Because not every night, Brunson's going to play well. All right? So you got San Antonio coming in. Wembenyama coming in. Never fun. Never fun. It's a game the Knicks should win, quite frankly. They start in Sohan at point guard. He hasn't necessarily been blowing, you know, blowing up the spot, but it's not like the Knicks have a bunch of people to match up with him if he decides they you know they want to get him in the lane, shoot over whoever's guarding him. I don't know who you put on who. The sellers hurt. He's been their best perimeter player. Outside of whatever you want to call him in Yama. But Popovich hates the Knicks. I pretty sure I'm pretty sure it goes back to that Marcus Morris thing where the Knicks, you know, basically had Marcus Morris Rescind his verbal commitment to the Spurs and sign with the Knicks. I'm pretty sure Popovich has hated the Knicks ever since. Uh, Wembenyama is probably pissed off that Fournier is not playing, so he's gonna come here and try to whip their ass for Fournier. And it's never fun. The Knicks never have a night off. There aren't that many nights off in the league this year, but it never seemed like the Knicks got a break. All right, they finally they get a win. Big win, and now they got to face this big seven foot four freak of nature, who wants to show off everybody in the universe at Madison Square Garden. It's not going to be fun, but we're looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to watching the game. Make sure you follow at Ethos Knicks at Sports Ethos. Until next time.